Pace Line is supported by LEL Cycling. The coast is calling. LEL's shore collection embodies the spirit and style of the California coast. All LEL products are crafted in Southern California for shipment worldwide. Now, on to the show. From Red Kite Prayer, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, Celine Yeager, a.k.a. the Fit Chick of Bicycling Magazine. Each week, we take a look and see how cycling fits in our lives. So, Celine, yeah. uh, are, are things finally warming up there? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, yes, which is weird. I don't know how much you know about our weather, but it was... Uh it was in the 60s this week. So, oh, I missed things, that. I mean, I keep checking in, but no, I didn't see that. Yeah, no, it, it went from it, it. I mean, literally, the temperature swung 50 degrees in, in a matter of just a couple of days. Like crazy. Wow. And it's, it's kind of normalized now, and now we're just back to normal winter. So, but yeah, there was a, <laughs> what day was it? It might have been Wednesday. And he was pushing the seasons a little bit, but uh, I, I passed a friend of mine in just. A jersey and shorts, and like no knee or no arm warmers. Little aggressive, little aggressive. I had I had arm warmers and knickers, but um, it was an arm warmer warmers knickers kind of day. So, mm-hmm. which you know, wow. mid February is not uh, early February. I will take it. Yeah. So, <laughs> just taking it as it comes. I've got all my clothes, no matter what. They're all out, ready to go. Yeah, yeah. I'd is be it still raining there? Uh, so it hasn't rained the last couple days. It's not raining today. The moment we finish recording, I'm going to rush out for a ride and then come back and mix the episode tomorrow. It starts raining again. And then Mm. I think it doesn't rain Monday and then it rains Tuesday through Saturday of next week because we have another big atmospheric river arriving. Is this very unusual? I mean, I know there's rainy seasons, you know, and February tends to have some of it, but this seems like a lot. Well... The atmospheric river thing is a climate change thing. We had one for six months. You don't have to tell me about the atmospheric river. Right, yeah. right, yeah. So, this, you know, getting getting hammered in quite this way is uh, a different sort of experience. <laughs> and in my twisted little mind, I mean, I'm not really psyched about uh, rain Tuesday through Friday. But next Saturday, or a week from Saturday, if it's raining that day, I am stoked. Tell me what that is. The next grasshopper. You want to do it in the rain? I don't want to do a grasshopper when it's 75 and sunny. Oh, okay, fair. I, the, we can right, all because, agree, you right. know, the, the, the readers can write in and go, dude, you, you are messed up. Because uh, your superpower is riding when it's 50 degrees and raining. Apparently. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the closest I ever get to badass is, you know, when everybody else is like, I'm going to go drink a beer. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I hope it's the crappiest of conditions for you there. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, you and me both. <laughs> oh, my twisted little world. Okay. So what do you got for us this week? Why don't you lead us out? All right, I have um, sort of following 
sort of last week's format, which was very successful. I, I've got two listener questions and a confession. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will start with... Uh, I was, I, I don't even know, I didn't know this thing existed. So I was a co-host, or I guess they call it a guest professor on Bike School, which is, um, it's this Twitter, it's like a Twitter game, for lack of a better word, that they, that's part of lovingthebike.com. So what it is, mm-hmm. is that like Thursday night at nine o'clock, they have guest people come on and they ask me to be on. I think they've had, they've had lots of, of different uh, luminaries you know come on and and all you do is like type in so you have to type in a question as the professor and then you hashtag it bike school and then people answer you you know so like over the course of an hour you might get you know six to ten questions depending how long the questions are um you know and it's kind of funny because it's on twitter so even though i'm hashtagging it all of my Twitter people are seeing it, right? And uh-huh. a lot of people are like, oh, Celine is just playing a fun game on Twitter. So they're not hashtagging back. So I'm sort of on TweetDeck watching people responding that aren't hashtagging bike school. And I'm, it's going on for days. It's only supposed to be an hour, but I'm still getting people <laughs> going, oh, my first bike was, you know, which is kind of, it's fun and entertaining, but it's just, it's just kind of, it's just kind of a funny a funny process, but anyway, uh, one of our listeners was part of, was playing along at bike school, uh-huh. and he had asked if uh, I would just do a couple of the highlights because the you know there were a couple of questions that got a lot of answers. So I thought I would just do that and see what your answers would be. Um, oh yeah, I, I'll play question, along. <laughs> yeah, well, my first question because it was during said polar vortex, is I said my personal limit is about twenty five degrees Fahrenheit. Where I will go, uh, do I want to ride outside? Do I want to ride half of my ride outside? Or do I just want to, like, stay inside, right? And, like, hit the rollers. <laughs> like, so I was just trying to get a sense of what's your bottom temperature tolerance. Hashtag bike school. Um, <laughs> the, the, the low answer was minus 25 degrees. Negative 25 degrees. Uh, this dude, Luke. And I'm like, what do you wear? What are you wearing? And he's like, tights, wind pants, two merino layers, a fleece, a wind jacket, two balaclavas, goggles, and boots. And, of course, gloves. Hashtag bike school. Um, and then, <laughs> then there was somebody in Florida who's like, 50 degrees, man. That's it. So it, it totally cracked me up. Like, I, if I have to put on a vest, I'm just not going outside. That guy's probably wearing a balaclava when it's 50 degrees. Anyway, it's made me wonder, and I know, like, you know, we live in different parts of the country, so everything is relative as to what is low, but what, what is your current, like, when you will sit and go, eh, that's a little cold? I don't... Okay, so obviously there there's a deflection point, right? There is a cutoff. Right. I... I don't know how to answer that question, but what I can say for sure is this morning when I got up, I thought, you know, I should probably try to knock my ride out first thing and then just work straight through the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And then I opened my smartphone and I hit weather and it mm-hmm. said 33 degrees. And I said, no, I'm riding this afternoon. That's fair. I think that's fair. I would do the so, same, even though I'm, I mean, I'm probably harder than you are and tougher than you are. 
<coughs> sorry. I, I we haven't already established that. <laughs> no, I mean, that's my super... I don't like when it's crappy. But anyway, go ahead. Um, no, but I think that's just reasonable, right? If you have the option... Like, you wouldn't... If that was your only window and it was 33, you would have written, right? Like, you would have been like... Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so living... when You know, years ago when I lived in Northampton... You know, during the in winter, the you were in New England. Yeah, yeah, for people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. That upper corner of just Canada, you know right. crappy weather, uh, Canada <laughs> South. Um, you know, there were a lot of winter days where it might only warm up four degrees. Yeah, yes. So the difference them. between riding at thirty three and thirty seven is pretty marginal. Whereas in Northern California. You know, I know that whatever it is at eight o'clock, it's going to be at least 20 degrees warmer in six hours. Right. Right. Uh, so I can just wait. I, I yeah. can wait out anything, including my children. <laughs> That's a different story. Okay. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I um, I will I will note that any number of my rides, because I've been riding later in the afternoon, I'll leave home and it'll be maybe 55 degrees, 52 degrees. Mm -hmm. And by the time I get deep into the woods in Annadale, it's in the low 40s. So I don't have any trouble riding in the low 40s. But Mm -hmm. leaving home in the 30s is apparently currently not an option. There you have it. Hashtag bikes. So, (laughs) right, right. Hashtag bikes to go. (laughs) So... That's that, I, I would have guessed that. So, so the other popular question that I'm, I'm actually curious to see what you say. Um, I said if I had to pick my favorite ride distance, it would be between. And that's not to say I don't love other distances, but I just wanted to nail like what I think is like that's a good ride, you know, all the way around for my life for the day. Uh, if I had to pick my favorite ride distance, it would be about fifty to sixty miles, or about four-ish hours. Road, mountain, gravel, whatever. So the mileage might vary in there. Um, but just like that amount of time, it just feels a little indulgent, but hasn't sucked up the whole day. You know, I'm still pretty energized and into it. I come home and I'm not a little wasted for, you know, whatever. Um, you know, and, and again, it was interesting, like, what, you know, the responses that came back. A lot of them were in that realm. But, I like, I, it, it was a little more over over the map. Like, I had one guy say... 7.5 miles of his commute um, is very scenic, and he just, that makes him happy. Like, that's his, I was like, that's kind of cool. Like, I, I just didn't expect that. And um, another guy, Neil, I know you're listening because you always comment. Um, he <laughs> said, six hours is the threshold for me to feel like I've been on a ride. And I'm like, dude, that is a super high threshold. And he's a DK 200 guy. And I know he likes ultra endurance. And then he came back. He's like, what? Every ride is a good ride. But Neil is definitely an endurance junkie. No doubt. Is Neil single? Um. (laughs) That's that's a Neil. Yeah. Tell us more about you, Neil. I see you on Twitter and, you know, uh, we'll have to learn a little bit more about Nick. I don't know the answer to that question, but I, I did wonder too, like, uh, what what the rest of the day looked like because six hours you know six hours that's a good ride but it definitely there's not much else happening um you have eaten up a, a whole lot ride. of daylight yeah <laughs> even if you start like in the summer i'll try to pull that off but you've still eaten up the half the day and then oh. you got it 
you know, you gotta have a beer or recover, and now the day's done. But anyway, um, yeah, yeah. So what is uh, what's yours? I I'm right there with you. Four hours is awesome. You know, yeah. I can I can do a whole lot of mountain biking in four hours, yes, and my friends can stop for plenty of safety breaks. Um, <laughs> On a road ride, you know, as long as I either get to stop a couple times or have a calm, straight, flat section of road here and there so that I can sit up and ride no hands and give my neck a break. The spinal stenosis has really become a a limiter for me. Mm -hmm. It's a challenge. Mm -hmm. And so for me, you know, I could do I could do 12 hours conceivably, but I I have to do things to take care of my neck to relieve that pressure. Twelve hours is a very long time. I'm clear on that as <laughs> he gets ready to contemplate doing the full DK 200. You, that you, yep. That's that's uh no, and that's for for sure. I mean, that's another pull for another time. But yeah, that is something you would really need to think about. Is that comfort of your the the whole stenosis thing? Just because. Everything freaking hurts anyway, right? Even if you don't have any factors mm-hmm. that, that hurt. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He he nods as he also grudgingly acknowledges, "Oh, I've never done a double century, so why not do it on?" That the- was my first. <laughs> you might as well just make it. You might as well just go all in. Like, yeah, I, you know, yeah. why not? Jump in the deep yeah. end. Yeah. yeah. Do not take keep, the steps into the pool. No, keep, keep a surprise on how that's going. It's really a quarry, <laughs> but that's okay. Um. Anyway. <laughs> So, and then I finally, and this is also from the Twitterverse that sort of came up the next day, uh, I have a confession, because it, it just got me thinking about it a lot. Uh, there was this Twitter post pretty much lambasting people who ride around with dirty bikes. And I am 100% guilty as charged. I am the worst. All my friends will tell you that. I have been publicly shamed. I have been privately shamed. I have shamed myself. I do not. I'm terrible. I don't wash my bikes. I'm awful. I'm terrible. I know how. I've written articles about it. I've included it in books. I am the worst. I put it in the garage, out of sight, out of mind, until I come out and I'm like, oh, that's bad. And then I just (laughs) put more. And then I just just put more lube on the already black chart of chain and roll out so everybody can mock me. I have stood on the line of big races and looked down and thought, you are a terrible human being. And then I say, that is my lucky dirt. And that dirt will get me, like, it's, that's my training dirt. It's my lucky dirt. Um, and you know... It's your mojo? Have, dirt is it, your it, mojo? It's my are mojo you saying dirt. that? I, I'm kind of saying that. I Maybe <clears> my magic power is is riding with a dirty bike. Anyway, but when people, I have had people literally take my bike from me and wash it, and I'm not lying. When I get it back, it doesn't work right. <laughs> like It's almost like the dirt has been holding, and it makes me insane. So it's not to say that I've never had clean bikes, because I used to, like, when I was racing a whole bunch with the teams, like, there was somebody that would, like, actually clean all of our bikes and make me somewhat respectable out there. But left to my own devices, I'm an operation of destruction. And uh, I, 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 it's, you know, like all those things in your life that every year you, it's like the resolutions, you swear you're going to change and you don't change. So I, I'm kind of at that point. I'm just like, I've been trying to be, how many years now I'm going to be different? I'm, gonna, I'm not different. Um, so I think that just trying to, like everyone now is like, all that conversation we had about bike lube. 
now I'm getting all this bike loop. <laughs> so like people are trying to save my drivetrains from myself. Anyway, it made me wonder how much normal people, and, and I don't know if, if either of us is normal, but you're probably more normal than I in this regard. Easy. Um, how, how much do you wash your bike? Uh, not even as often as I would like. Periodically, for whatever reason, I can't figure it out. Uh, the, the, the faucet for the hose near me will just be turned off. And it's, you know, I can't get water out. So it's like, okay, not washing bikes today. So in your then, life situation, you do not have, because I don't even know that, you don't have your own private hose that you could wash. No, okay. no, no. See, I I'm do, in so a, there's, I have two, no excuse. But anyway, except it's cold sometimes. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm in a complex, and so it's a, you know, it's community access. Most of the time, yeah, the the water is working, and so I can wash my bikes. I won't tend to wash a bike until it starts to actually look dirty. I'm not, I'm not anal. I mean, I've got mm-hmm. a friend who you could cook an omelet on his bike. It, it's, he just, and like immediately after the ride, you could still cook an omelet on, I, I don't know what it is about him. Uh, Sterno, if you're listening, love you, buddy. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I like a bike that looks clean. I like a bike that works well, mm-hmm. but I have two little kids and you know, I'm writing every day and you know, there's a cat box to clean and meals to oh, make uh, and I'm an unambitious cook as it is. So washing bikes steers me ever closer to the microwave, but okay. I will, uh, I will wash bikes with some regularity. As a matter of fact, there's a, there's a mountain bike downstairs right now, seriously in need of wash. And, uh, when I rode the bike over to the coffee shop to meet a buddy to get a pair of neoprene gloves to try. The chain was a little noisy and I was like, oh, I got to get on top of that. So I really do make an effort, but I hear you when you say somebody washed your bike and then it didn't work right. I have experienced that last summer at the two-day Mendo Hopper. Uh, Somebody wiped my chain down in the morning and lubed it up and then wiped all the excess lube off. And so halfway into the day, I had accumulated so much dust. It's like, ugh. Then when I got to the rest stop, this guy asked, hey, would somebody lube my chain and don't wipe it off? Immediately, the kid wipes it off. I'm like, no, 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 no. Please don't do that. Well, no, see, it's going to pick... Can you you just lube it and then leave all the excess on it? But it's going to pick it. I've already been through this. Please, I I know what it is I'm asking. I don't care what the chain looks like at the end of the day. I want it to work right without sounding crunchy. Please just put more lube on it. Thank you. (laughs) You know, you know, it's undergraduate college student. You know, working at a bike shop. Well intended. Well intended. Yep. Yep. And infinitely more experienced than me. Right. Do you do a wheels off wash every time you do it? Oh, hell no. No, no. I will get bikes clean, but, you know, the the old style European team mechanic approach of like diesel and sudsy stuff and wheels off and scrubbing everything, you know, and like eight different brushes. No, 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 no. And they're special. I don't even know. Like. I can't remember the horse hair thing, whatever, ox hair, I would ask. Yeah. I mean, I do have some natural bristle brushes because I have, 
it makes a difference. It really does make a difference. But I, you know, I'm going to spin a wheel by picking up the saddle or the handlebar and scrub a little bit, turn the wheel, scrub a little bit. I am not taking stuff off. I mean, I'm not turning this into some kind of avocation or hobby. I am doing something that needs doing. I, I spend more time washing bikes than I do, you know, washing sheets. Yeah, yeah. You know, I yeah. do it more frequently. So, uh, you know, the one thing I really want to comment on about this, though, is this whole concept of shaming. From here on out, I really, I've been thinking about this. I pledge only to shame people ironically. I'm going to try to shame people into having more fun or being easier on themselves. But, and you know, I've had people come after me and shame me for this or that or whatever. And it's just BS. I'm so tired of it. You know, and part of this is just an extension of like, we've kind of finally come around to realizing that we shouldn't body shame people. No fat shaming, no skinny shaming, no whatever. You be you. Uh, and anybody, anybody who's going to shame you, just you know, either set them straight or push them out. I, I just don't. <laughs> a have... lot of it, a lot of it is is I get um, I get ribbed a lot. Uh, you know, and a lot of ribbing it is very okay. Yeah, you know, that's like heckling. Fine. Heckling yeah. is fine, but but um, real shaming. And I mean, I've seen that for bikes. Had a couple of people like be like, you know, a little too serious about it, and I've just been like, check yourself, right? Like, yeah, it's just. Check yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I will kid people uh, here and there. Oh, I can say. I've got a big sense of humor about myself. (laughs) I know I'm a joke show in certain areas of my life. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And I own it. It's fine. But uh, there are are indeed, there's sometimes, seriously, though, when I look around the start line and everyone's shoes are clean and their helmets are clean and I'm just like, I still have the mud splattered on from, you know, the last ride I did where I'm like, you could have taken, made some effort, but I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I get over it real quick. <laughs> well, you know, that's, that's one of the secrets to happiness is just letting go. Right. Yeah. I, I totally let that go. I'm just like, I'm yeah. going to look like this in 30 seconds. It doesn't matter. Like, it's just, it's going to be fine. Yeah. Nothing's killed me yet. No, no <laughs> that's school. true. I'm right here. Bike school. Hashtag bike school. <laughs> All right. Hashtag, I am pulling off to the side. That uh, What do you have Alrighty. for us this week? Well, the funny thing is, I thought, well, no, I really did have a pull of my own this week. But then I got this email from a listener, Frederick, in Belgium. Mm-hmm. He apologized for his English, which caused me no end of mirth, <laughs> although the, he didn't catch on it because it was an email. But, I mean, him apologize. his English was so good, it was like me apologizing for my bike mechanic skills. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was oh, like, yeah. no, if, if, my, if my French was half so bon, <laughs> I, you know, I'd, I'd be so happy. Anyway, Frederick asked what happened to brands like Klein, Bontrager, mm. Gary Fisher, ProFlex, Pro Salsa, and Yeti. This show can't go on for two hours, so I'm going to skip a few of those. I'm Does just going to focus. Some still around. In ways, in ways, yeah. Okay, So okay, I'm going to focus on the brands that Trek swallowed. Uh, I mean, okay. bought in the <laughs> 1990s. Uh, Klein, Bontrager, mm-hmm. Fisher, and one he didn't ask about, Le Monde. Mm-hmm. What happened with each of them varies quite a bit. 
as some folks may remember, Le Mans got dumped because as the only American winner of the Tour de France, uh, he felt sort of entitled to speak up about another, uh, well, let's call him the, the most successful doper in cycling that we've ever seen. Darth Vader. Uh, <laughs> well, he, he has been referred to that. Yes, yes, he's been referred to as both of those. And, you know, I mean, I don't really agree with how Trek handled it, but they mm-hmm. asked the guy, can you, can you just pipe down? And I can sort of understand why they would have asked him to pipe down. Mm-hmm. You know, having such an ugly internecine fight was maybe not so great for the company. Uh, it doesn't seem to have done any lasting harm to Trek, <laughs> LeMond's line, not so much. It's harder to say what happened to Klein. Until 2009, Trek was still producing low-end mountain bikes with the name Klein for the Asian market. This is crazy. As a brand, Klein wow. killed in Japan for ages. Road and mountain, because I remember those road bikes were pretty hot. I, I actually liked those Klein. They were bigger on mountain bikes. Toward the end, while they were still making bikes... They were just yeah. cheap, uh, cheap mountain bikes. You know, mm, like the okay. like the three or four hundred dollar mountain bike you'd see here. Oh, okay, okay. They ceased all production worldwide in 2012, uh, or sorry, in 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, Gary Klein continued to consult for Trek as recently as 2012. I did some checking around. There's no word on what he's up to. Uh, no At one point in the past, he was making uh, holsters for cyclists. And in this current environment, he may be really busy. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Right. I, I, I was one. in a presentation once where he showed us one. He was actually really? packing there in, in L.A. Yeah. Yeah. It's a cottage okay. industry. Okay. Okay. Perhaps. Yeah. Um, okay. Trek stopped producing Gary Fisher bikes in 2010, I announcing, yeah, a lot of people did. I was did. a big fan. Mm. So they announced at the time that they would produce a Gary Fisher collection of Trek mm-hmm. bikes. Mm-hmm. This is 2010. So yeah. model names like the Pro Caliber still exist in Trek's line. But here we are nine years later. There's no trace of a Gary Fisher collection. That Those model names that still exist in the Trek uh, line are all that exists of what was once Fisher's own bike brand. Uh, that's not to say that Gary Fisher has gone away. No. The dude, <laughs> Anything ever bad. the bon vivant, I, he has really kept busy. So I interviewed him last summer for the poll mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. the summer before that for Dirt Rag. Right. And what I can tell you is that he's really hard at work behind the scenes in the industry. He does a whole lot of advocacy work. Some of the advocacy is actually on the racing end. He will meet with the UCI and dude is so self-possessed. I mean, he's the godfather of mountain biking, right? Dude does have what it takes to walk into the, into the UCI and go, you know, your world cup cross country courses are shit. Uh, you really need to stop that. You're going to get somebody killed and they will listen to him. That's the best part of all of this is that when he speaks to people, when he speaks to power, people actually listen and it's wonderful. Um, the thing is, in my conversations with him, I've really come to appreciate that 
his clarity on the bigger picture in terms of getting more people into cycling and doing more to develop cycling so that it's more fun as a sport, both at the recreational end and at the racing end and making bikes work better so that people have a more enjoyable experience out there. Dude gets it. If we could clone somebody right now, he'd be in my top 10. Uh, he really would. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, the other one that we need to cover is Bontrager. Keith Bontrager has the only brand that actually has survived at Trek. And why is remarkably easy to answer. Okay. Lamont, Fisher, and Klein all made bikes, and that's yep. all they made. Bontrager, Bontrager made bikes and components. His brand name has survived because Trek needed a name for their house components. You know, all the big brands have their own line of components so that they don't have to be specking other big name brand stuff like Zip or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, the funny thing was they really lucked out because the Bontrager name had huge credibility. I, I don't think we can say street cred, dirt cred maybe, uh, <laughs> you know. Um, but... The weirdest part in all of this is that not only have they continued to use the Bontrager name for components, unlike all the other brands that have shrunk in invisibility and use, Bontrager has expanded because you can find the Bontrager name on gloves, mm -hmm. on apparel, on, you know, inner tubes, all sorts of stuff. It's yeah. crazy. They're, and, they're lights now. They, those, yeah. They're the ones pushing the whole the daytime running lights and stuff. They're a big part of wheels. It. Yeah. Wheels. Yeah. It's, it's all over the place. So it's the single most used name in the Trek brand, uh, other than the name Trek. Yeah, for sure. So remarkable. So, you know, note to all you aspiring, uh, little entrepreneurs out there who want to get bought up by a big bike company, make components. <laughs> <laughs> If you want to stick around, make components. Yep. Yeah. Uh, here's the thing, though. All that is just detail. What's truly significant in this is that Trek bought these quote-unquote boutique brands because it didn't have any cachet at the high end. Then a crazy thing happened. Mm. In 1996, Trek was sponsoring Saturn, the Saturn cycling team, and GT yep. was sponsoring the U.S. Postal Service cycling team. Uh, then GT CEO Richard Long died in a motorcycle accident on his way up to Big Bear. Come 1997, GT has dialed back their sponsorship. They're sponsoring Saturn. Trek is sponsoring U.S. Postal. Then two years later, Lance Armstrong wins the 1990 Tour de France and Trek realized, oh, wait, now we've got all this visibility and, mm -hmm. oh, we're the company that's big enough to actually sponsor a tour team. We can't do that with Klein or anybody else. I, I guess we can pull this off. We can be a high-end brand. And that's when they started pouring millions and millions of dollars into developing the Madone and, you know, right. really, right. you know, developing their own engineering team in a way that they had never done in the past. And the value of Gary Fisher and Klein <laughs> just diminished immediately. Did they also do the same with their mountain bike in with the Trek uh, fuel and all that? Was that about the same time frame? You know, I don't. I don't, I think that was a little bit later. I don't think that they really started getting serious about their own 
dual suspension, full suspension designs until on into the 2000s a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was some lag there, but... Yeah, you no, know, you're I, right, you're right. I, yeah. Because uh, my first bikes, my first mountain bikes were, uh, I loved Gary Fisher's. Like, one of the first bikes I bought with my own money was a Gary Fisher Sugar. And that would have mm. been um, not in the mid-90s. It would have been somewhere <laughs> around 97, I think, that I would have yeah. been racing that bike. Um, and then I raced... My first stage race on, and this is actually kind of a funny story, um, the team was on um, Fisher's, Gary Fisher Superflies, uh-huh. and we broke all of them. I was the only person I would like to mention that did not break her bike, but we <sighs> we were on hardtails, and this stuff here does, I mean, we literally got a call um, from from Michael Brown going, what are you guys doing? And we brought him out, and he's like, these bikes were not made to be raced on this kind of terrain. I'm like, you know, what are you going to do? Like, this is where we live. So, you didn't ask us for photos. <laughs> so, yeah, wow. I mean, I, but they, I really, I had a, I had a great affection. Um, I had a great affection for those bikes. I never had a Klein. I loved the sexy tubing and colors and i mean he did all those big fat tubes and the aluminum yep. that i talked about like i patented like yeah it was it yeah yeah he filed a patent in 77 for you know using large diameter aluminum tubing it's kind of amazing that he got the patent that way because it seems like such an obvious idea right. but yeah the bikes looked amazing uh they were incredibly stiff you know they just felt yeah. like rocket sleds yeah, I was I was a fan. I was a fan. Uh, yeah, it's funny. I haven't even really really thought about like the, I I guess I I didn't make I didn't connect those dots that they were all under that truck that truck umbrella, but they were indeed all under yeah. that. Uh, and it's, I never had a Le Monde. I never was. Uh, yeah. I mean, the skinny steel thing was not my my thing. Well, so later on, uh, Le Mans started producing some. Uh, horizontal top tube titanium bikes and those were very very well thought of then there were the spine bikes the bikes that were either steel or titanium for the head tube down Mm -hmm. tube and chain stays and then carbon fiber for the top tube most of the seat tube and the seat stays Uh, again they they call them the spine bikes and i reviewed uh i believe they called it the tet de course then it was titanium Mm -hmm. and carbon and it was an unbelievable bike. It was, yeah. f- relative to that era, 2003, 2004, it was a very impressive bike. And then later on, you know, initially all the carbon fiber bikes for Le Mans were just re-decaled OCLVs. Mm-hmm. I remember that. He didn't, he didn't have his own carbon fiber bike. And then they made the Triumph. And, you know, the funny thing is when he sued them for lack of investment and development of his brand, it was like, oh, that's going to fall on its face because they cut tooling for something like six different sizes of the Triumph. It was not a small investment to do that bike. And people who had those bikes loved them. Yeah. Loved them. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and that was the era where they actually moved away from Le Mans geometry. Because initially all those those steel bikes were, you know, 72-degree seat tube angle, which was great for a lot of women, but for 
people with shorter femurs like me, it was like, what do I do? I got to get a straight seat post and I got to put the saddle all the way forward on the rail so that I can get a fit. Um, And eventually Trek managed to say, no, we're going to make bikes for everybody, not bikes for you. And Hmm. it was yet another counter argument to the idea that Trek wasn't really uh, investing in his brand and they were just allowing it to languish. They, They did a lot to try to broaden the appeal of the Le Mans bike line. Yeah. Now they're usurping all the bike lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that's when you say track, that's what I'm thinking of now, because it's kind of, I mean, we do have quite a bit. I don't know how it is by you. We have a lot of bike lines um, in this area. And, you know, they're essentially becoming truck concept stores for lack of, you know, they're just, uh, it's an yeah. interesting, because they're seeing that, you know, service is, service is the future in a lot of ways. And so, yeah. The landscape has changed a lot. And, you know, I know that some people are going to miss these brands, you know, especially, you know, Fisher and Klein. I can see people being upset about that, but I can't fault Trek for looking at the way the wind was blowing and adapting their business plan to it. At the end of the day, everyone is really trying to survive, A, you know, and then maybe make some money, B, right? I mean, it's yeah. it's just, it's not, it's not easy to run a business in an ever-changing environment that, yeah. you know, it's yeah. just, just, I'm always a little sympathetic to, to that situation. Yeah. And, and I, my brain, just one last note on this, my brain goes back continually to those alternate, future scenarios of what would have happened if Richard Long hadn't died that day. Say he just had a broken leg or something, you know, because then GT would have been the bike that would have ended up sponsoring U.S. Postal. And GT was already basically the biggest bike brand going in 96. And they would have just gotten bigger. I mean, once they won the Tour de France in 99, uh, you know, it would be GT all over everything. And, uh, you know, who knows what Trek would be. But then there's the other thing of, well, what if Specialized had been smart and sponsored Saturn so that they were the ones who flipped into the U.S. postal team and, you know, Trek was doing something else and, you know, all that. Would have, could have, who knows? Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. It, uh, it's interesting. I, it's kind of fun to think about alternate futures. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. <clears throat> moving right along. How about Paceline Picks? What's your pick I, this week? It's a very good segue right into my picks because it's actually a bike. Um, oh, And a bike cool. brand that I'm, that I'm super, that I'm just super excited about. Like, um, I don't know if I've mentioned that I have an open upper, uh, mm-hmm. but... I have gotten a chance to try out the Open New Up, which is their, uh, I think it came out in September, and it's the refresh of the original UP, which I think right. stands for Unbeaten Path. I hope I'm correct on that. It's, <laughs> it's, the, uh, it's, it's the brainchild for people who are not familiar with the brand Open of Andy Kessler, who is the CEO of BMC, and Gerard Vrooman of Cervelo fame. And yep. man, if if I feel like this bike was honestly designed for me because as we I like bikes that go fast. I like bikes that are responsive. I 
I appreciate a stable bike, but I really like one of the things that I that when I got into doing a lot of gravel events and I was doing them on some of my cross bikes and other stuff, the handling just isn't the same. Yeah, you know, it just mm. doesn't. It doesn't feel like a road bike. It doesn't. It doesn't have that same responsiveness. You can yep. get a lot of really nice bike packing, and I'm. This is just a very personal preference. There's a lot of great bikes, and it depends what you like. Yeah, but once the chainstays get a little longer to accommodate the big tires and all that stuff, like the the bike just become it it just becomes a different ride, and it's a ride that I personally don't like as much. Mm-hmm. So what I love, love, love about the open is that genius move because that was Gerard's thing is like, you know, of of moving the dropping the chainstay so you had you could you didn't have you could keep it at like four twenty or something you could keep it really tight. And still get a giant tire in there. And so you get on it and you're like, this feels very familiar. Like it feels like a road bike. But yet it's got all this capability because honestly, the bike's what? It's about the tires. It's about the tire size and wheel size as much as anything. Like that, in my mind, is what makes a gravel bike as much as anything. It's where the rubber meets the surface and how big that is. And, you know, the disc brakes open that all up. And then this little tweaking of geometry to keep everything tight, yet still accommodate that tire. It's yep. just, it be, it just creates this really magical bike. I'm really in love with this brand and uh, what they've been doing. I think it's just so innovative. And I honestly feel like it's just like, it's just like, it's a road bike. I mean, everyone's, you know, you always hear that like, oh, all gravel bikes are road bikes or all, all bikes are gravel bikes. You know, that people are always a little snarky about <laughs> nope. that. Well, yeah, and A, they're not. Yes, you can ride any bike. I mean, we've all done it. But my Trek Madone, which I did hell of 100 in and a lot of the stuff here on, I wouldn't have made it 10 miles at Dirty Kanza. That's just the, <laughs> just the facts. Like, it just wouldn't happen. Yeah. And this thing, I mean, I've taken just for kicks, just to see what it could do. I mean, I can't ride my true single track because it's just too rocky here. But I've ridden mm-hmm. some single track that I have no business being on, on that drop bar bike. And it's super, it's super capable. It's super fun. And I feel like I feel like it, it's it's such a for so long we got really wrapped up in giving everybody race bikes, you know. And I remember talking to people. I I, I would talk to people. I knew people that were crashing, like they had accidents, and people that bought these like they they had all this money. They had like six thousand dollars. Like I'm gonna buy the best bike I can, and they hated it because they bought a race bike. They bought a road race bike. You know, and I'm like, mm-hmm. you're not whoever it was at the time. Like, you're not Lance, or you're not like you're you're like they 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 those are tools for a very specific purpose, and yeah. it, it, and I feel like these bikes are actually like the bikes that people want as a road bike. You want a bike that is fast and fun and capable and and actually, but expands. a little calmer. Well, yeah, I, I called it yesterday. I was riding with my friend and going down like a pretty wicked, it was a road descent, but it was all, the road was all blown out. And like, these bikes are so relaxing. We were both, he was on a Diverge, you know, which also a very, very great bike. But yeah. I'm just so calm. I'm buzzing down this thing at 38 miles and I just don't even care. You know, 30 miles an hour, 35, whatever. I am so relaxed. And if I was on like my and I have I you know I love a good aero road bike ride I'd be I would be saying hail marys and and our fathers and just very happy to get to the bottom of the hill without <laughs> abandon <involving>. ship <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> abandon ship we're going down um, so yeah that's my 
you know, they are, they are not cheap, but the frame sets are coming down a bit. You know, you can trick them out and get them very high, but you can also get the frame set, I want to say around three grand, you know, and then just work from there. I just, I just, I'm very excited about all, you know, Salsa's doing some really good stuff. There's just so many companies now that are doing these really great gravel bikes that are exciting. And Open, yep. it just happens to be one that I'm particularly excited about. With this new version of the UP, did they tweak the handling geometry at all, or is it essentially the same bike that it was? Uh, they put the open U-turn fork on it. So it's got the same, they changed the fork, it's got flat mounts, and it's a little, the geometry's a little tweaked, uh, and it's lighter, it's like 130 grams lighter. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I couldn't tell if it was a matter of the position I had, or the the geometry of that bike relative to my size i was not super wild about it hmm. when i rode it but which you one know, did when you I buy saw- the original i'm curious yeah 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 okay and so when i saw that they had done a new one i've been meaning to take a look and see did they tweak anything is it what is it any different for you? i'm just curious it felt a little like a truck it it was huh. it was kind of sluggish in, in handling oh no i did, i have not yeah but I'm also, I've got a small butt. Like, these things all, you know, it all it all matters, right? Well, and, and there's this, I don't want to call it history, but there's this propensity. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but something about the open and 3T stuff where they like a really short head tube and a really short steerer and yeah, no spacers. <laughs> and yeah. so, you know, you get that much weight on the front end, and that will slow down the handling. Right, and. Right. On a on a gravel See, bike and a mountain bike, bikes, I want to be I, I want to be more yeah. sitting more upright. Right. You know, yeah. I want to be able to get some weight off the front wheel. And this so. is why there are so many bikes because yeah. I can sit here and wax poetic and go on and on. And somebody else, I mean, I I loved the three T two. I loved mm-hmm. the three T Explorer. I did Dirty Kanza on it, and he who should not be named that I work with is like that bike's an ass hatchet and i'm like what are you talking about <laughs> like he just <laughs> you know so it's just it is just what it is like this is why hello there are so many different bikes because we all yeah. have different riding styles and tastes and sizes and proportions and it all affects how you ride all of that like yeah. you're saying like where your weight is affects everything right and for whatever reason everything is where it should be for me um, yeah so much of what I end up looking at when I'm looking at uh, the geometry of a bike is I'm looking at, you know, how many sizes are there? What are the spaces between the sizes? Mm-hmm. And, you know, as they lengthen the top tube, are you getting two centimeter jumps or a centimeter and a half? When you've got, you know, your sizes are se- separated by a centimeter to a centimeter and a half, you can you can find one of those two sizes to work for you. Once you start getting up to a two centimeter jump, it's easy to find you know somebody who's stuck in that centimeter in between the two sizes who's just yeah. never going to fit that bike. And that continues. And to be I've a had big... that happen with some brands mm-hmm. for sure. I've been in between. That's a big I concern of mine. Sit in between sizes a lot, um, and I always air smaller because it's just sort of my preference. But sure, yeah, sure, yeah. Okay. Cool. What do you got? Well, uh, you may have heard SRAM has just introduced a new group. No. The, the Red <laughs> ETAP Axis. That's A X S 
But uh, yeah, it's being pronounced Axis. There are a number of changes from existing Red ETAP, and this will be an unfortunately brief summation of them. <laughs> uh, some of the highlights I see, you can go one by if you choose. There's still a front derailleur, though, if you prefer that and live in a place like I do. Uh, all two by chain ring combinations feature a 13 tooth step between the chain rings so you you don't have to do as much upshifting or downshifting in the rear when you shift chain rings i really love that idea one of the things they did this is the first complete group on the market that offers a subcompact crank option it's a 4633 and the biggest cassette they offer is a 1033, so you can get a full one-to-one ratio without going to aftermarket parts. So for gravel riders, we have a group made just for us. Um, the PR materials, <laughs> funnily enough, don't even mention the 12th cog. <laughs> they talk about more range and more selection. Wow. They don't mention a 12th cog. That, it's so funny. I didn't funny. even notice that. Yeah. Uh, it, I think they've... They've done so much to try to de-emphasize the, you know, because they don't want to just trade on the fact that, oh, we added a cog. That's not enough to upgrade a group. And I get that they would want to de-emphasize that some, but they should make it clear. I had to go and take a photo and blow it up and count the cogs just to make sure. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, no, yeah, there's, there are 12 cogs back there. Um, so yeah, they talk about more range and faster shifting and more one tooth jumps of the cassette. Um, you know, that's all nice and everything. The shifters are programmable. They have a new smartphone app as well that allows you to do the programming. You can do sequential shifting. There's all sorts of choices in there. I can't wait to dig in. Uh, the Quark power meter is super integrated now. It looks really sexy. It's not a it's not oddly obtrusive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, you know, the whole group is wicked light, not to mention expensive. You're going to pay north of 4K for two by with hydraulic disc brakes. Uh, but if you go one by with rim brakes, it's only 2838 for a full group. Uh, the most surprising part of this announcement there are currently 24 bikes available like either in shops or in warehouses and on their way to shops uh seriously this minute so we've got two bikes from cannadale two from canyon two from cervello two from giant two from orbea two from parley two from specialized and two from trek um you know most for the most part it's uh, a standard road bike and an aero road bike in the case of parley uh it's a gravel bike and a road bike and then 3T is actually offering three different models with it. Yeah. So uh, th- there are definitely choices out there. This is not one of those things where, oh, yeah, if you wait till August, uh, somebody of yours will have one. You can go buy this bike right now. Yeah, it's wow. it's really impressive. Uh, I can't wait to have a chance to to get on it. Sweet. Yeah. <clears throat> no, I know. I, I, you couldn't miss it. They made a giant splash. Yeah. And, you know, it's worth mentioning, um, you know, one of the riders they used in a bunch of the photos is an African-American woman. I understand she's an English track rider. That is true. And I will butcher her name, so I don't want to attempt it. Um, Maybe you should just say her Instagram handle. Do you know her Instagram handle? I've forgotten it, but it's pretty (laughs) cute. 
<laughs> it is cute. I'll have, to, I'll have to look it up. We'll put um, it in the notes. We'll put it in the notes. Let's do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I was not aware of, um, you know, because she is, she's not like a, a super well-known pro, but she's a, no. um, she's, she's really great. I've read, I've read quite a bit about her since she came out and it was, yeah, it was super cool that they, uh, they made that choice. She's, she's a badass track racer and she's definitely British and we'll put her in the show notes, but it was a nice, it was a nice way to showcase the, the, you know, flagship rollout. Yep. 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 I, I love it. Uh, I mean, I think I look pretty good, but there's an awful lot of me out there and I don't mind seeing a little less of me. <laughs> Representation matters. It's true. <laughs> it, it really does. Yeah, yeah. it does. So a uh, question for you as we wind this up. Sure. Um, what have you published in the last few days or last week or so that you'd really love to tip readers to? I think we should be doing more of this. Oh, okay. Um, I'm not prepared for that, but that's cool. No, I, uh, what did I just, <laughs> I, I, there was a piece that, that I, there's, there's a piece that, uh, you know, people probably saw, but I think they should definitely see if they didn't. Uh, it was about uh, bone health in people who ride a lot. You know, we've talked about skeletal issues and everybody mm-hmm. knows or should know that Tour de France riders, you know, people who ride a lot, a lot are almost osteopenic. I mean, they, they are, they yeah. lose a lot of bone because cycling is not uh, impact. You know, they like, it just, and it also, there's something about it that when you ride to that level, it might even be leaching, you know, you're sweating out a lot of calcium, et cetera. So they did do a study on some pro and they rode 900 hours a week. So let's be clear. I mean, a year, uh, oh. 900 hours a year. So they're way up there. I mean, these are true, true, true paid pros. But they had, you know, 10 out of the 16 or 17 had low bone mineral density, you know, and they're young people. And they also strength trained two months out of the year. They did off-season lifting. So the take-home message, to be short, is you should probably, if you do indeed ride as your primary exercise and you ride lots, you should probably stay in the gym once a week anyway throughout the season, you know, once or Uh twice, just to maintain, just to maintain some some, uh, tension on those on those bones because that, you know, the eight weeks or whatever you're sitting in there is, is not quite enough to offset the 10 months. You might be having no uh, attention on your bones at all to stimulate growth. And it's important. Your skeleton's a big deal. So that's uh, the thing. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Okay. Well, we'll have a link to that. Uh, I wrote uh, kind of a meditation on sprinting recently mm. that's gotten a huge response. And so I'll have a link to that as well. I, I cool. wouldn't mind that seeing a, a few more eyeballs. Yeah. Awesome. Excellent. Yeah. Before we go, I'd like to put in a plug for RKP's other podcast, The Pull. Uh, The show features artisans talking about their craft in one-on-one interviews. Think Terry Gross for cyclists. This week's show is an interview with Steve Hampson of Hampson Cycles, uh, as well as being the more handsome of the two Hamptons, I think it's (laughs) fair to say. (laughs) <laughs> watch me get axe murdered tonight uh, <laughs> I should also mention we've been loving the requests for segments on the show it's been pretty successful here and so we'd welcome more of those drop by RKP and put something in the comments or feel, feel free to email us we hope you've enjoyed the show and if you have please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts it makes us easier for other listeners to find until next week I'm Patrick Brady with Celine Yeager. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.